0: Aftercare. and i'm Junior. Well, we'd like to talk about all things kid related whether it's foster kids bio kids adopted kids step kids or anything else i think the information you'll learn here will be very valuable we'd like to bring you guests who have either been foster kids themselves lived with foster kids or maybe even people who are helpers like psychologists and caseworkers If you have a story that you'd like to have highlighted on our show, please feel free to contact me at fostercareuj at gmail.com. We can chat and set up a time to do an interview. I'd love to be able to tell your story. We're here to inspire you to become the best parent that you can be, whether that is a step parent or bio parent or foster or adoptive. What we really want to do is change the world for the better and leave it in a better place than we found it. Now on to the show. Hi, and welcome back to Foster Care, An Unparalleled Journey with Jason and Amanda. Today, we're going to talk with Karen Davis Thompson. I met Karen on a Facebook group for podcasters. She has a podcast called In My Shoes that if you guys want to go over and check that out, it's going to teach you a whole lot about a world you probably don't know a lot about. If you want to look at her blog, it's InMyShoesToday.com. Karen is an adoptive and foster mother, and she adopted a young lady who had some special needs. And we wanted to bring her in here and talk about that story today, because there's a lot of pieces of that story that we make a lot of assumptions about. And you don't know what you don't know. So she's going to tell us what we don't know. How are you doing today, Karen?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing wonderful. Wonderful.
1: Great.
0: I met you on that podcast group and listened to a few of your podcasts and went, wow, she has some stories to tell. She has some wisdom. She has time in this game. (laughs) (laughs) You adopted your daughter a lot of years ago. Yes. Z- a lot. 16, 16, you said, right? Yep.
1: Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: How, how, did that, how did that story start for you?
1: So I knew early on that I wanted to adopt. I was never really, um, I guess I've been a little different for a really long time. I never was really <laughs> interested in um, being pregnant. I mean, I would have done it if it had happened, but it wasn't something that I felt like I just needed to experience. Um, I wanted to be a mom and I knew that adoption was a way to do that. In my state at the time, more than half of the children in care were children of color. And so my husband and I knew that we could make a home for um at least two or three of those babies. And so that's what we chose to do. Um so we um I gave it the I told my husband I'm giving this whole getting pregnant thing about three hundred and sixty-five days, buddy. And if it doesn't happen <laughs> I'm done. Um, I knew that there were some possible infertility issues there. My mother didn't get pregnant easily, nor did my sister, but I just wasn't, in ex- I wasn't interested in exploring it. And so we got our foster care license and um, we had children in our home. None of them were any older than two. I was in my early twenties, early to mid twenties. So for me to get a child who was 13 or 14, my God, I would have had been nine when they were born. So obviously for us, um Younger children was what we wanted to do. And at the time, my state here in Florida had a program called Foster to Adopt. So you fostered children that they thought would perhaps be eligible for adoption. Obviously, nothing is guaranteed. Um And so that's how it started for us. Um, my son, who is older than my daughter, I've had him since birth. He's now 20. Oh, wow. And we got him at four days old. And then my daughter came to us um, as an emergency placement, the foster home she was in was closed. We don't know why. She's never lived with her biological relatives. And so we became her foster parents at two. They, she was two. They'd already severed her father's rights and they were in the process of doing a biological mom. Um, and so within short order, maybe about nine months to a year, um, she was ready to go and we adopted her from there. Oh, wow.
0: Do you have any idea of the story behind why mom and dad's rights were terminated?
1: Yes. So here in Florida, if you have children in care and you give birth and they find out about it, they automatically take that child. If you already have a plan and and either you're not following it or you're in the process of that plan and you get pregnant, you don't get to keep the baby. They take that child as well and just add that child to your case plan. So they had had multiple children together. None of them were with the parents, they were with um, a relative. And when my daughter was born, she's like, you know, she keeps having babies and you guys keep bringing them to me. I can't take any more children. And so that's how she entered entered the foster care system. Uh, There was some drug abuse, some alcohol abuse on the mom's side, um, and they just never were able to get it together. And so when she was born, the dad was kind of already tired of them in his business, so to speak, because they had other children. So they just went ahead and served his rights when she was almost at birth. And then um, it was apparent that the mother was not going to be able to, um, she didn't even have the mental capacity She was living with her mother. There were some issues with her mother. So they went ahead and decided to sever her rights as well. The foster home she was in um, was interested in adopting her. Uh, We do believe there was some abuse even in that foster home. She was a horrible person just based on some of the, um, I guess, some of the things that I've seen that in my daughter, some of the behaviors. It clearly was not a good foster home. Um, As we said, it was it was closed. It was an emergency, but I don't know exactly what happened. Um, And so that's kind of the story behind how she ended up in care and how she ended up with us.
0: Okay. Um. Now, was this some of your first placements or was this, had you been doing it for a little while when, when they came to your house?
1: We've been doing it for a while when she came to us. So we had a nine month old um, who had a lot more medical issues than, you know, my 24 year old first time mom really knew what to do with. I mean, I was going to do whatever I had to do for her, but at that time they had what they called medical foster homes and once it was apparent, I don't know how they didn't know this before she came to us, that the issues were, you know, she had issues with her lungs. Um, she was very delayed in terms of her, you know, almost nine months old. She wasn't even attempting to crawl, sit up. She couldn't hold a bottle. It was a lot of stuff going on with her. So they placed her in a medical foster home, and she was later adopted from there. Then we had a two-year-old who we kind of knew would not be eligible for adoption, but we didn't have any children in our home at the time. And she's her mother was also in care. Her mother was child herself and didn't want to follow rules so every time she got upset with her foster mother she'd take the baby and leave um it was a kind of cold winter for as cold as what we think of in florida (laughs) and so they said to her you know you leave again no jacket no appropriate clothing we're going to take her from you and so they did that more so for her to understand i don't care that you're a parent you're still a child and are rules you have to follow so she was with us for uh, several months and then my son from four days old um and then We had a five-week-old who we could have gotten at birth, but she was born crack-exposed. And again, I still, in my 20s at this point, maybe 26, had never had an experience with a child that was crack-exposed. So they placed her with a family that had some experience with that until we could see what the lasting effects were going to be. She had some night tremors. That was really about it. So at five weeks, she came to us and we had her until she was about, gosh, 16 months, 17 months. But her mother got out of jail, started visiting. And my concern for my son, who was two at the time, was that he would get very um, accustomed to having her around. And then at some point, she would be taken away. And how I explain that to a two-year-old? So we requested that they move her because we just felt like and she did eventually end up going back to her mom. And then um, my daughter. So she was the last child that we fostered um, and adopted her. We thought about a third child. But by then the state was deep into privatization. And so they wanted to treat your home almost like it was a a a foster care facility. You know, they got three beds over there. Well, you can't tell me how many children to take. This my house. So (laughs) the foster care agency we uh, were with at the time, they were really pressuring them. They said, hey, we'll close your home for now. If you guys decide you want to do this again, we'll go back through the process with you. But for now, let's close it because they're really pressuring us to fill all of the beds that we have
0: all right, so when when your daughter came to your home, um did you guys know that you were uh know that that she was likely to be available for adoption? I th- I think you you mentioned that earlier, right?
1: We were pretty sure. I mean, nothing is guaranteed, but they had already severed her father's rights and they were beginning the process with her mother, and so the fact that the mother did not have any of the other children, uh, we were pretty certain that it would Uh, go through that they would go ahead and complete that process but you never know until you get to the end
0: oh absolutely we've we've experienced that ourselves we we had a we had a couple of kids who were with us for a year and a half i think is what they were with us and Mm -hmm. we really thought that it was heading that way and and then i mean it's good news for them dad straightened his life up and and got himself together and he ended up with his kids back and he was in a healthy place to do that that's the best thing for them, but that was definitely a hard part for us because you just never know that that piece. Are they going to be long term? Are they going to be short term? Are they going to be forever? You just don't really know.
2: Don't know. Yep. Well, and your heart always attaches. Absolutely, know. yeah. And when they go, your heart it breaks.
1: <laughs> yes, my the my the child we had before my daughter that was probably the hardest because we had her for well over a year. And um, it was looking like it was going to happen. This woman had a six-year-old who was in a group home. Um, her first visit, she did not show up um, right after she got out of jail. And so we were hoping that maybe that would continue and that they would go ahead and sever the rights. But she started picking up the visits. And I knew I was in trouble when <laughs> uh, she had a visit with her. And they. Um, my husband went to pick her up from the uh, daycare we used. And I came home. and She was in the playpen. And she was so happy to see me. She's clapping her hands, mama. And she had on this ugly outfit that I never would have purchased. And I thought, where is the outfit mommy put on you this morning? I was like, well, what is this outfit? She had had a birthday. This was right after she turned one. And her mother wanted to see her in this outfit she bought. And so they changed her clothes. And of course, I'm just the foster parent as they see it. So there was no thought to how I would feel when you sent her home in this outfit. And so I knew then that I was in trouble, that as far as I was concerned, she was mine, even though that wasn't the case. Um, And if I felt that way, I'm sure my son felt like that was his sister. And so how do you explain that to a two year old? And I did keep up with her. She did not go home uh, until she was about four and a half. So they messed around with her mother for another three years or more. Um, And imagine at that time, my son would have been five. And how do you explain that to him? She's leaving.
2: Right, I mean so that's it, a, it a that's a major decision.
1: loss. Yeah, yeah. It was a tough decision, but it ended up being the right thing for
0: us to do. Yeah, that that's a challenging one for us all is is that piece of attachment that because the most important thing for those kids is to to find somebody who really loves them. And we mm-hmm. <clears throat> me and my wife watched a uh, it was a TED Talk last night. And that was one of the things the guy was really trying to drive home to the audience was the importance of, of hearing those pieces of of important life knowledge. You're important, you matter, and I love you. Mm-hmm. And in order to tell a kid that where they'll believe it, man, y- you've got to actually make it true. You've got to actually care for them. And that's tough. And it hurts when you let them go. But I mean, if you're the type of person that that hurts, that's, that's what we're looking for in this system,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So tell us about your about your your daughter's journey as as you you uh, after you guys adopted her. I know you said that that she had some significant abuse and and that that kind of colored the way that that her future was going to be.
1: Yes. So my baby has um, bless her heart, multiple diagnoses, and so uh, some of it is as a result of the foster home she was in. So you know they said, oh, she's fully potty trained, which I thought, uh, oh, she's just past two. She probably still has a few accidents, but can go to the bathroom for the most part. Um, I found out very quickly that was not true at all. She was nowhere near potty trained. I had to start from scratch. It took me a few. I was like, is this? Is she messing with my head or what? <laughs> like, you know, she'd just stand there and pee. And I'm thinking, okay. So I thought it was a little weird. Um, she would scream like you were killing her if um, anybody besides myself and maybe my mom or sister tried to change a wet pull up. Um, it took two or three people at the daycare. You had to hold her down to get it off of her, like screaming bloody murder. Um, and so we knew something had happened around potty training, but we weren't sure what. Um, and so um, trying to get that unraveled, she also um, I-, I assumed that she was in a home of somebody who maybe had never had a child of color day. Permed her hair if you know anything about perming an African American child's oh. head, it's, a, it's 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 a lot like it's a it's a strong product and the damage to her hair was significant which means they did it when she was very little because she had turned two in July and she came to us in September and the breakage the the, the damaged scalp was clearly already done. Um, they had taken her to the doctor I think maybe to just cover their tracks and they had been given a shampoo. To use every day. Well, first of all, you don't shampoo a black child's head every day. First of all, and they were not using it. The bottle prescription had been filled maybe two weeks prior, and it was still full. So they weren't even washing it at all. It was a medicated shampoo. So I had to cut her hair, start over. Um, she still to this day is very sensitive about trying to get her hair combed, and it's a result of that experience. I mean, there were times when she wanted to get her hair done. And I'd take her to get it done. And on the way there, she'd be in tears. I'd look back in the car and she's crying. And I'm like, we don't have to do this if you don't do you know want to do it. go. It's. You It was just the trauma from that. I mean, her, her scalp had burns and scabs. It was, it was bad. And so I took her to my pediatrician. He gave me um, a syrup, just something to give her. And it cleared up the scalp. She had beautiful hair. Why they permed it, I will never know. Um, and so that still scars her to this day. As a child, I had to hold her down. To do her hair, um, literally hold her down. It's great. It, I thought the neighbors gonna think I'm killing this child. I'm just trying to do her hair um, because of that experience. And um, when we first got our first diagnosis, it started. Um, I knew that there was an issue at least with sensory. Uh, trying to get her to brush her teeth was traumatic for both of us. Um, There were times when I'd be late getting out of the house because she's screaming bloody murder. And all I wanted to do is brush her teeth or, you know, get her clothes on right. So um the first time we had any uh real assistance with that, because I was a young mother. And so people think, oh, you worry too much. And I'm like, I'm telling you all something happened to this girl. Something is not right. Um, I was uh, I just burst into tears in the school psychologist's office and um she agreed to assess her which they typically don't do unless they're falling behind and at the time she was kind of able to hold her own in class um so she's five at this point and she did an assessment and she did it with like play therapy and everywhere you went in the dollhouse you had to take the bathroom with you and she would scold the doll uh tremendously if if the doll wet and so you know you knew something was going on there and then Um, They were playing and things were going just fine. And she knocked something over and the look, she said the look on her face, like she thought that the therapist was going to kill it. Like she knew there had been some abuse going on there. Um, And so that's kind of where we started. And then um, I took her to a place um, a few counties over. And the first diagnosis I was given was, well, the pediatrician had already diagnosed the ADHD. And after that, it was that there were clearly some sensory issues. There was some sensory, what they called sensory perception disorder at the time. And then the autism diagnosis came shortly after that. And then um, when she was probably in middle school, her psychiatrist at the time said to me, I cannot put this on paper because of her age. And there are rules about when you can diagnose a mood disorder and actually call it bipolar, schizophrenia, et cetera. So she said, but your baby is bipolar and you just need to get ready for that. Um, right now, the only thing I could put down on paper is mood disorder, but that's where this is going. And there was clearly some sexual abuse, something that happened around the restroom. Um, and so it just kind of manifested itself in her behavior as she got older.
2: Wow, that's a lot. How do you prepare yeah. for that as a parent?
1: it's really difficult to prepare for. I think that you just have to be committed to doing whatever is necessary for your child, which I definitely had to learn very early. Um, what was most irritating to me was, um first of all, I, I was very young, and so I didn't know anything about what they call full disclosure. Here in Florida, when you have a foster child, they give you this folder and it's yellow, and it has the court documents in it, um, you know, the p- paperwork that says you're the foster parent and you can make decisions. It's very, you know, just the stuff you will need as a foster parent. And they call it a yellow jacket. And so after the adoption and things were just, it, it wasn't getting any better. You know, I thought maybe as she get more comfortable in our home. And it was weird. It was never like crying for these people that she was with before me. I always thought that was weird too. It was never that. It was just, you know, these things that were kind of coming up in her behavior. And so, there is a, uh, an adoption support group that we have here locally and I reached out to them. So she came just to kind of observe my daughter and she said to me, um, you, did you have full disclosure? Where's your paperwork? And I said, Oh, I have the yellow jacket. Yeah. She said, No, honey, the full disclosure meeting. I said, the yellow jacket, right? That's what I have So her eyes got huge. She said, Are you telling me that you didn't have full disclosure? And I said, I don't even know what that means. And so that's when I found out that there should have been a meeting where we all sat down and they redact the names that they should have gone through the family history, what the siblings were going through, what they were exhibiting. You know, I should have been given more information about why the foster home was closed. I got none of that. Um, And so I learned very quickly to get a really tough skin and to put my battle shoes on (laughs) and to get ready to do whatever I had to do for her. I had to hire an attorney to get documents that I should have gotten before the adoption, because what they do is you get full disclosure and then you decide after seeing the totality of this child's family history, do you still think you will be able to parent her knowing that some of these issues could become her issues? Um, and so I didn't get that opportunity. And so um, I had to hire an attorney. Uh, by then a lot of the documents were not there any longer. They did my full disclosure with me for my daughter when she was about thirteen, which is ludicrous. <laughs> wow. um, at that point, a lot of the documents were missing. It's like, really, we're gonna do this now? Um, and I think they only did it because I was a thorn in their side for a really long time because I made it perfectly clear that whatever is due to her, because when you adopt through the state, there are certain um, there are certain things that they are still due. Their Medicaid. Um, subsidy, you know, if, if you need subsidy, certain, um, therapies that they can get, uh, and people were not being forthcoming with me about that information. And so I made it clear to them that we can do this the easy way or we can do it the hard way, but I'm not going away and you're going to do what you're supposed to do. She's going to get what she's due one way or the other. Um, and that was just kind of my mantra. And, um, I made it happen, whatever I needed to do for her. Um, and they didn't like it, but I didn't really care.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's, that's a whole lot to, to have thrown at you, especially for somebody who was new to the system and didn't know what to look out for. It kind of sounds like you were tossed in the deep end of the pool.
1: We were, we were, and, um, it was daunting. And there were days when I thought, I, I just, I don't know what else to do. Um, and so it was a lot of prayer. It was a lot of just being in the right place at the right time. I made a decision early to try and attend one to two conferences a year that dealt with her diagnoses just so that I could keep up with, uh, you know, mental health especially is so subjective. There changes, you know, even with the DM5. So in the beginning, they kind of separated out the different types of autism diagnosis. Now it's a spectrum disorder. So just keeping up with all of that and so I went to a conference and I made a beeline to this table. They had booths there with vendors, and they had pull-ups. And my eyes just, you know, twinkled because she still was not fully potty trained. She was getting too big for good nights, and I had no idea what I could purchase after she could no longer fit the good nights. I was like, "Do they make pins for children this young? Like, what? You know, what do I do?" And I found out at that conference that because she had medicaid with the state all i needed was a prescription from her doctor saying it was medically necessary and they would send the supplies that i needed um to me the state this the private agency should have disclosed that i found that out at a conference at a booth i happened to go to um i sat with a woman for lunch at the same conference and she was a guardian at litem and she said oh what brings you to the conference and i told her a little bit about my daughter and she said um out of the blue, we weren't even talking about money. She said to me, don't let them tell you that that little stipend is all they can give you. They can give you whatever you need for her. And I'm like, well, they're telling me that she's already getting the max, which was like 500 bucks. I mean, that was enough to pay for the good nights I was buying and the co-pays for her medicines that were not generic. So they could be 50, $60 a pop. And she was on two or three of those, You know, ADHD meds, meds for the mood disorder. By the time I paid for all of that and paid for pull-ups wipes you know this 500 bucks they were giving me was gone and she said no sweetheart all they have to do is petition the state which i had no idea and i found that out because i happened to attend a conference and sit by a beautiful older woman who felt i needed to know that for some reason
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well it's funny how when you're in the right place at the right time those things tend to happen and i'm not certain that that's always coincidence there there may be a uh A bigger hand in uh, at play, putting us in the right place to meet up with the right people.
1: Oh, I completely agree. Yeah, I don't think it was by chance. Because I started not to go. It was in a county over from where I live. And I thought, oh, do I feel like driving? And I thought, well, let me just get up and go. You know, it's close enough. It'll take me 40 minutes to get there. And I got two of the most valuable pieces of information. You know, I still get supplies for her because she's still not fully potty trained. We still get wipes for her gloves because um, now she qualifies for Medicaid as an adult and she can get those supplies, I think, until 21. Um, and so, I'm, I, you know, I believe in God. I'm a firm believer um, in him steering our lives in the right direction. And especially when you're trying to be right. You know, my goal was to do what was best for her. And um, he just made it possible for me to get that information. And I'm very grateful. I had to fight to get the money, but at least I knew I had the right to the money. Um it took a few years, but I was able to get that done as well.
0: Now I want to kind of back way up. Um what? you mentioned that her her first placement, um, they they were, I assume, of a different of a different race.
1: I assume so. I don't know much about her. I just can't imagine an African American woman thinking you needed to permanent. She had to have been 18, 19 months when they put that permanent wow. here. So i, I I've, I've never met the woman, so I don't know. I, like I can't imagine, that
2: yeah, I can't yeah. imagine perming any child's hair at one and a half years old.
1: Yeah, I just, it was, it was, but, it was horrible. The scabs, the, the, it was broken off. The hair was different lengths. I would try to put it in a ponytail and if she fell asleep in the car and got up, you know, the hair was standing up all over the place because it wouldn't stay in whatever ponytail I tried to put it in because it was all different lengths. Oh, wow. So we literally had to cut it and start over again.
0: Wow. Now, have you ever had any transracial placements or, or you know, uh, how have you guys focused that? I, I know here in the state of Missouri where we're at, we, we have the ability to say we will take this or that. We're not comfortable with different things. And race is one of those things, which I have always said I think is a great idea to make that a, a, an idea that um, that people can choose. Because yes. you may mm-hmm. not be racist yourself, but you might have a, a family member who is terribly racist, and you don't want to bring a, a kid of a of a race that they don't like in into that, but still be able to to foster kids and and help kids out, and still not lose your connection with your family.
1: Correct. Yes, that was an option for us. Um, we did say that we did not necessarily have a preference. We didn't really have that issue in our family, but our goal was to try and adopt African-American children just because um, they made up the majority so much. So what was so sad to me was, you know, in the state of Florida, you qualify for a subsidy after adoption. If you adopt children who are um, in a sibling group, because there were not a lot of people adopting multiple children, children over the age of eight, that made sense because people weren't adopting older children. If the child had a true disability or if the child was black of any age. And so it was just so sad to me that, you know, they're trying to find a way to to get people to to consider African-American children. Um, And so that was really our goal, but we did, if there was a child that even if it was a temporary placement that needed a home, we were not opposed to adopting a child of mixed race or of a different race than we were.
0: Yeah. That's always been, been Amanda and I's choice as well. And we turned quite a few heads. We're in rural Missouri. And so mm-hmm. it's, you know, you, you can see me, whereas most people can't. If you go take a look at a profile picture of me, you'll find out quickly that I don't fit into any, any typical thought pattern when people think mm-hmm. about races. Um, I, I am what I've always affectionately referred to as ambiguously brown <laughs> and I can fall into almost any people group. However, my wife is, is definitely, um, she she's as white as they come. Um, <laughs> and so we, we've had quite a few different kids from different race groups and different ethnicities. And you can tell that, that we don't match. And when the kids come in to our care and in our house that they don't match, and that's never been an issue for us, but I know that a lot of people that is an issue. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's wonderful that you guys are willing to take, take anybody from, from any group because honestly, Yes. If a kid can be with somebody who who looks like them, that may reduce some stress. But it also may be that they were abused by somebody that 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 reminds them of. So there, right. there's always those different pieces. There's so many different parts of that psychology that it's wonderful to be able to uh, to reach out and and help whoever you can help the most.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely.
0: Um, I know you mentioned that she had a lot of diagnoses, diagnoses, yes, diagnoses. Hey guys, we wanted to step in real quick and just give a quick reminder to reach down on your podcast app and hit subscribe if you have that option on your app so that you get notified every Friday when we put out a brand new episode. Also, don't forget we do have a Patreon link if you'd like to support us in that way. We would love it and we promise to not spend the money anywhere other than buying Pop-Tarts by the pallet because seriously guys, I got a lot of kids to feed over here. We really appreciate any support you have and if you don't have money, that's great. Do us this one favor, recommend us to a friend. Now back to the episode.
1: Yes, diagnoses. There you go.
0: There's the smart person way of saying it. <laughs> uh, I assume she she probably still needs some some different services for the ADHD. You know, you mentioned the the, the autism is what they eventually decided. A lot of it was in the bipolar. How is that affecting her today? I mean, because she is, you said, 18 now?
1: She is 18, and it is still uh, difficult for her. Hygiene is a really big problem still. Brushing her teeth uh, is monumentally difficult to get her to do. Um, The problem we're having now is for us, uh, guardianship has been a challenge because my daughter, IQ-wise, is is pretty close to normal it's more social and emotional there are a few deficits in terms of iq but for the most part um you know if you catch her on a good day i mean she can answer your questions uh, but she may not have bathed in 72 hours um she probably hasn't brushed her teeth in weeks um and so a lot of it is still social and emotional still wedding. and so um she is legally an adult who can make her own decisions, How, however bad they may be in Florida. If you can make a decision, they want you to be able to make it, even though we all know it's not going to be a good one. Um, and so what we are battling with right now with her is um, I was hoping it would take her a little longer to figure out what 18 meant. Um, but people around her were quick to point out to her that she can't make you take your medicine. and You can leave the house and she can't call the police down and bring you back. And so, uh, rule following is very, very challenging. And so, when the rules are not how she wants them to be, she will leave and be gone for days. Um, we did find a group home for her where we thought it would give her um, a more of a chance to feel independent, but still have people there who could assist her. Uh, because no matter what age, she's still a young adult who thinks her mom and dad are dumb as boxes of rocks. You know, they all they think we don't know <laughs> the Philippines and what we're talking about. I've got to feel like that. <laughs> I mean, that is, you know, disability or no, that's just life. So we thought maybe having people who were not her mom and dad helping her to understand that might be a little better. Uh, but she um, this got in step with this boy who has told her all kind of crap. And so she left the group home, uh, Was mo- moved in with him. We were able to get her back to the group home. Uh, she left again. So, of course, that door has been closed. Um, she was with him for quite a while. Um, Now she's kind of allowing us to assist her. We're trying to get her back into some more assisted living. Um, But it is a challenge because part of her wants to be an adult, but part of her knows that she can't handle it. You know, um, perfect example. So, you know, she's lost multiple debit cards. I opened accounts for both of them when they were very little. And so um, if she has to repeat herself or make more than one phone call to try to get something resolved, She threw the debit card down and was in a ball of tears because it was taking too much effort to try to figure this out. Um, And so I said to her, well, if if you allow, if we call back, mommy will talk to them, but you need to listen to how this is going to go. You want to be an adult. This is what it means to be an adult. And that is very difficult for her. Um, Even though it's what she wants, she doesn't really want it, if you understand what I mean. (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) It's just it's been a challenge since she turned 18, because there are days when she really doesn't want to accept the help that we're trying to give to her, even though she really needs it. Um, so we're it, we're in a tough spot right now, and I'm hoping that there will be some maturity. I don't know. We seem to be in a plateau. I was hoping that she before she kind of plateaued, which my her therapist said to me at some point, you know, she's never going to be her chronological age in terms of maturity. The two are never going to match. But we were hoping to get to maybe 21, you know, in terms of maturity. But we seem to have leveled out at about 11 on a good day um, in terms of maturity and social and emotional skills. Um, You know, people can explain something to her and then I can say, well, what did they say? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> okay well honey you you know you've got to pay attention you you want to be an adult you have to pay attention or i'll say are you wet i don't know well pumpkin who would know if you don't know who who else would know sweetie um so it's still it, it, it's it's going to be a long haul for her it's going to be very very difficult if she doesn't agree to the help that people are trying to give her
0: oh yeah <clears throat> we have teenagers and and that's a pretty common thing for our teenagers as well that that mentality i you know i hope mine grow out of that at some point and there's you know i think the typical brain development says that they don't you know your typical brain development doesn't stop until what around 26 years old i want to say mm-hmm. so there there's a good possibility she has a long way to go to where she can uh she can hit those our own kids have had hit a lot of those plateaus it seems for a while and then they suddenly have something click in so you can only you know hope for her that that's what what happens. But it sounds like you have you spent a lot of time fighting for her.
1: Yes, and still do. Yep. You know, <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know and, and that that's the amazing piece is you got to have somebody who's willing to um, the one of the taglines that that I've used with this podcast for a long time is being you know providing strength for the weakest among us. And mm-hmm. it sounds to me like you are that warrior who's providing that that strength and support for your daughter
1: yeah I, I think that that's my job as her mom um you know, I didn't have any issues with my um nuclear family having a problem with us adopting I mean, I grew up a preacher's kid, and when you're related to the pastor, people see him as like a part of their family so and in 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 the African American culture, you know I have children who did this day call me auntie, we are not related by any stretch of the imagination. But as far as they're concerned, I am their aunt and you cannot tell them any different. We just kind of grew <laughs> up with that. So it was never really an issue for me, but still sometimes adoption in the African-American community seems like this, like, wow, you adopted? Like it's this weird, yeah, people do it every day. And so um I did have people early on who would make really ignorant comments. Like, oh, it's just so wonderful that you didn't give her back. You know, it's like she's not, a garment I bought at Macy's. It's a child. You don't, you know, if I had birthed her, who was I going to give her back to? I mean, as far as I was concerned, it's as though I birthed her. And so this is my daughter and this is what I wanted to do. And I have told people before that we're the worst kind of parents. And by that, I mean, I signed up for this. I didn't get pregnant by accident. None of that. I sat in a class and I said, I want to be somebody's mother. And then, to be more specific, I said I want to be her mother. I could have decided I didn't want to do it. I could have chosen to try fertility treatment. I sat in a class and said, "This is what I want to do." And I can't decide now that it's difficult that I don't want to do it anymore because that's just not how it works. If you if you say you want to be somebody's mother, then you're somebody's mother. I mean, that's just that's just what it is. So for me, that was never an option. Um, You know, especially when you made a conscious decision. To make this person, this child, a part of your heart in your home. You don't just say, this is too hard. And there are days when she can really, whoo, she can test it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they all can. But it, it amazes me the ignorance that people have around foster care and adoption. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I've been asked that by people. Well, why do, why do you still do this? Why don't you, you know, just, it's too hard. Just give them back, you know, and... It just—it really upsets me because I'm like, would you just give your child back?
0: I don't know. And I want to know who
2: they're going to give them to. I've offered to give my kids
0: back to Jesus a time or two.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's just amazing that that is kind of the first thought that a lot of people go to is, well, you can just give them back. Well, no, I made this conscious effort. I made this decision. I'm a mom, even on the hard days, on the days that I don't want to be mom, I'm I'm still mom.
1: Still mom, yeah. And
2: so when people say that to me, I'm like, well, which one of your children would you give back?
1: Would you give back? I, I don't,
2: you know, yeah, the, there's not a understood. difference here to me, you know, yeah. these are my children. I may not like what they do sometimes, I may not like what they say or how they behave, but at the end of the day, they're my children mm-hmm. and they're my responsibility to guide them. And too many people just give up and it's very disheartening.
1: Yeah, it really is. And it was never, uh, it was never, that was not an option for me. And so I made that clear to anybody. We're not even having that. We're not even going there. So whatever I have to deal with. And there were days, you know, you come in the house and I didn't know what I was going to walk into if she's had a tantrum about something it's like oh dear god i just want some peace but (laughs) you know all parents go through that whether you birth the child or adopted the child and i don't know why people think it's some abnormality it's weird or it's like you're taking on somebody else's problems well no they're my problems if that's how you want to look at it
0: okay guys if you've made it this far into the episode You're obviously enjoying the content with Karen, so be sure and go by and check out her podcast. It's In My Shoes. You can find it all over the place, just like ours. Also, if you want to check out her blog, it's InMyShoesToday.com.
1: You know, these are my children. It doesn't matter that I did not refer to them, but to some people, they, they, they want to make a distinction, and that just doesn't work for me.
0: I'm totally with you on that, um our kids from a very young age. I remember a guy that I worked for years ago when our older kids were really little, and you know the kids that we had in our house weren't all biologically connected to me and um and well, I guess our oldest daughter wasn't technically biologically, I guess. Kinda. <laughs> how about that? If you, if you get into all the family math, kinda. Um, but I was talking with the guy that I work for one day and he, he said, well, how do you refer to them? Are they, you just treat them like your kids? I'm like, well, yeah, that they're just part of my family. They're part of my tribe. They're the, they're the people that I'm willing to kill for and I'm willing to live for. And he, mm-hmm. he kind of, he, he says, well, that's the way it should be. And And he kind of said it with some real fervent you know vigor in his voice and just left it at that and i thought that was kind of odd and i found out after he passed away that that his kids who were in in the in the business a family business that i worked with they were not all biologically his mm. and he had raised them when him and his wife uh divorced he got custody of all the kids and i don't know that story at all you know why he had custody of all the kids but i just know that he did and honestly, until after he passed away, I didn't even know that was a thing. I assumed they were all his biological kids, and that's the way he had always treated them and raised them. And that made such a big difference in how they grew up as a family. I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. yeah, and just just being willing to fight for your kids is just a you know because I'm not fighting for this kid. I'm not fighting for my my foster kids or or my adopt. I'm just fighting for all my kids. It's it hits that place inside of us where we know that. That what really matters is the thing that we're fighting for, and we put mm-hmm. away all the silly labels that are unimportant.
1: Absolutely, I totally agree. Yeah, and that was important for me from the beginning. And so, um, you know, like I, I've watched programs where they'll be talking about a celebrity or somebody, and they'll say, and they've got um, three children and two adopted kids. Well, then that means they have five children. Like I don't understand that. I mean, you know, <laughs> right? Why do Separated. They have five children. Why can't, why can't we just leave it like that? Like, I, but and I see that a lot, and it just it just infuriates me. And I'm thinking, really, you know. And I I was very hesitant in the beginning. Again, I was really young when people would say like, oh, if you met their real mom. Okay, dokie. So I had to learn very early that you know, if I, I may be the only person they've ever encountered who's adopted, and if I don't say. You know, this really, that's not the lingo. You're not really going to learn that. That isn't really what you say. So I think what you're asking me is, have I ever met their biological mother? Because I'm their real mom. But if you're asking me about their biological mother, then, you know, I can answer that question. Oh, you know what I mean? Well, I don't. And you know what I mean? So that's the proper terminology if you're speaking to somebody in this circle. It's, you know, you just, that's not what you say. Um, and so I had to learn very quickly. To not be afraid to just speak up when it came to stuff like that, because that's the only way people are going to learn.
0: Yeah, because and that's important for the kids too. We um, we talked with uh, Lauren Bajorian, I think her name was, and uh, she was a birth mom who put her child up for adoption at a at birth, but she was remained part of the situation because it became an open adoption, mm-hmm. and even there, you know, it, it's really clear who the, who mom is, and that's you know. Lauren and the adoptive mom are both moms, and -hmm. it's it's part of the equation. But, I mean, there's there's a a difference between adoptive and biological, but it's not a typical situation. You can't use typical lingo and make that make sense. And and the important piece isn't so much just so that I don't get offended, but it's so the kid doesn't get offended. You know, offended that doesn't, they don't get confused. They don't have to spend a lifetime wondering about who my quote unquote real mom is because that's the language somebody's used around them. And sometimes, sometimes your real mom, your real parents are just the, the people who are your parents, whether or not that's a mom and a dad biologically connected to you or a mom who's who may or may not be biologically connected and a dad who may or may not. And then a birth family somewhere that, that is biologically connected and may or may not be socially connected with you. It's a, it's a whole different world and people don't understand that oftentimes because they're just not exposed to it very often. Yep. That's
1: what I found to be the case. Definitely.
0: That's uh that that's, that's a real thing that I think we've all had to, had to come to terms with in this world. Um, It sounds also a lot like you have in your, in your, it sounds like in your quest to to fight for your kids, one of the things that you've really focused on is making certain that you connect with people who can who can really educate you and help you and support you on that journey. Like the idea of going to a conference or two every year, that's that sounds like quite the I mean quite a daunting prospect to be able to make sure that you keep that up. That's that's a lot of time off of work and money and, and, and education, but it sounds like it's also really turned out to be the best thing for your daughter.
1: Oh, absolutely. And not just for her, but I really feel that it's important to share what I've learned because nobody, it should not be, it shouldn't have been this hard. You know, some of the services and the things that I had to fight for her to get that she had a right to, it wasn't like I was asking you to treat her differently or to give her special privileges. She had a right to this stuff. And so it should not have been that difficult. And so I really felt like part of what I needed to do was I'm on this journey not only for her but to help somebody else who you know like I've talked to people in Florida we have something called um, APD and it's a service they um, it's only certain diagnoses that you have to have in order to qualify in autism Down syndrome or something and I've talked like I have a really good girlfriend whose child has Down syndrome when I say APD agency for persons with disabilities, she looks at me like I had six hits she'd never Heard of that before. Wow. And so for people to have to fight to find this information when I already have it, it just, why? You know, <laughs> like, well, nobody else should have to do this. So a lot of the reason why I do it now, especially that she's a little older, is, you know, I'm in a different season with her. So understanding guardianship, how to get her disability. In our state, they almost deny your first disability claim just for sport, just for, for kicks and giggles. I mean, (laughs) most people know that the first time you apply, it's almost going to be denied. That was not the case with her. I did the research and the first time we applied for her disability after she was 18, she received it, which people, it's unheard of in, in, in the state of Florida. That does not happen very often, but it's because I have been doing the research and the making the connections and who do I need to talk to for years. And so to me, it's, It's an honor to be able to say to somebody else, this is what you need to do. Here's who you need to talk to. Here's somebody that can help you. What they told you is not correct because there's just no point in people having to fight for this information that we have a right to.
2: Well, yeah, and I mean, that's really awesome that you're sharing that with people because we think as foster parents that the state is on our side and they're going to give us what we need to be able to accomplish whatever we need to for our children but that's not always the case there's all these programs that people don't know about and funding and different things and scholarships and just i mean you could the list could go on and on and on but Mm -hmm. they don't give us that list no you know you have to fight for every single thing and that's a daunting task in itself to go out and do the the research and a lot of us don't have the time you've got a lot of kids you've got life you got work you know, and so if you can share that info with other people, it's wonderful because we just, we take for granted that they're just going to hand us what we need.
1: Right. I think we're just very trusting because why wouldn't you, right? Like, isn't that the point?
2: Well, yeah, it but, isn't the um, point to do what's best yeah. for these children and to give them the yeah. services and everything they need. And the state's supposed to do that. And they're, you know, they're looking out for the interest of the child and, and they do, they look out for the interest of the child. But there's so many services that you just, you never know exist.
0: Well, and I think part of that, too, is that, you know, they're looking out for the best interest of the child, but they have a lot of children on their caseload. And I think oftentimes that that's the the real restricting factor is that people just don't know what they don't know. And the caseworkers are so swamped with some of these cases. Mm -hmm. I don't know about Florida. Um, Well, we know a little bit about Florida. We talked with a a caseworker out of Florida and, um, you know. She she talked about having a, a heavy caseload and the challenges of being able to take care of everything that the case requires because if you talk with any caseworker, I think the bane of their existence is paperwork because they have to mm-hmm. do so much of it. And so and, and it's necessary to to keep tabs on everything, but it also takes up a lot of their time. Time that could be spent providing some of these services or maybe you know, keeping these lists going and and reaching out to the different families and letting them know what's available a lot of times they're just so dang covered up that they don't have that ability to to reach out. So we we kind of run into that that corner where the state has a huge task and a limited budget and they're trying to do more with less. And despite their best efforts, oftentimes I think the kids get the the short end of the stick because of that that shortfall.
1: I agree. Yeah, we have that here in Florida and we also, as I said before, they privatized um, foster care and adoption in Florida. And, um, I thought, I think that was a horrible move because then it becomes about, um, money and and some of the salaries that some of the topper uh, leadership members are getting. It's nothing like what those same positions, if you had equated them to what they were when it was, you just were the foster agency dealing directly with the state. Now you have this private agency in the middle. Um, and even dealing with that agency, like I'll never forget when I, um, I wanted to go for her first psychological. And as I said before, you know, mental health can be very subjective. And I'm not a fan of picking like a therapist out of a book, like just whoever's got availability. I like to get referrals. And so I went to the agency and said, hey, you know, I know I'm not the first person who's probably need this. You know, she still has Medicaid until she's 18 to the state. Do you have a list of psychiatry or psychologists you use? Who could do a referral? And she said, "Oh, just whatever your insurance will cover." And I'm like, "Uh, okay, I, that's really not what I asked you." She has Medicaid, and so she's—I mean, I, you guys don't have a list of people you work with who do psychologicals. Like, I, I know I could go to my insurance and pull a name out of a hat. I don't want to do that. So it, it was like. So then she asked me, "Well." What insurance do you have? So whatever insurance I had. Oh, that's the one we have too. So she goes and pulls a list from that insurance company because even though my children had Medicaid, they were also on our insurance. And I'm thinking, really? You you cannot tell me that you guys don't have a list that you work with. But of course, that would have meant they take Medicaid, which means now the state would be paying for it versus if you can get me to go through our private insurance and have it done. Um, and I just thought, wow, yeah, no, we're not doing this. So I ended up Going through my pediatrician, uh, most of the specialists that she saw that he recommended. And then as time went on and I realized that um I was eligible for more financial assistance to pay for like my daughter sat in a special needs stroller. And they are every bit of six hundred dollars until she was about nine yeah. because large crowds freak her out even to this day. And so imagine in a mall and you're walking. And somebody else is walking and, and, you know, you're going to cross paths. Somebody has to get out of the way. Like figuring all of that out freaked her out. And then it was so much to look at. She just couldn't. So she liked to be able to sit in a stroller and I would, she'd have her little game or she liked to color and I would push her. And she didn't have to figure out how to navigate this world with all these people in it. So that stroller alone was like $600. I washed clothes at least daily because she peed almost every night even if she had a pull-up one, like it was all of this stuff. And so um, trying to figure out how to navigate all of that. Um, And I thought, really, you're just going to send me to somebody, my private insurance will pay for it because you guys don't want to pay for it. Um, Even that was aggravating. So um I feel for the caseworkers. And then even when you get to that next level where all she had to do was give me the list of therapists they use, it, it would have taken her three minutes. But nope she would not do it she wouldn't give me list. well
0: i think that's one of the challenges i a lot of these state agencies aren't allowed to make recommendations like that and i think that's where these foster support groups really come in into play our ability to con- connect and kind of network with other parents who've been in the same place and uh mm-hmm. and been able to to tell us you know i've i've reached out to a number a number of times um one particular woman that i plan on having on the show at some point Kathy was, uh, was a real big advocate for kids for a long time, and Kathy was one of the ones that we talked to when we first got into it, and I've called her with some hard questions when I'm like, hey, look, I know you've been down some of these tough roads. Mm-hmm. Can you please give me some advice here? And that's been some of the most valuable advice I've gotten has been from people who have experienced these things before. Uh, do you guys have a foster support group there locally, or are you involved in any online
1: we have one here locally. Actually, it's really sad. We don't have many in the state of Florida. One of the mo- most robust, it's called the Sylvia Thomas Center is located here in Florida. And they actually were the agency that I reached out to for my po- what they call post-adoptive services. And so they were the ones that explained full disclosure and what I should have gotten. Uh they helped me to find an attorney when it was clear that they were not going to just hand over the documents. Um they went through the documents with me to try and help me understand Some of the family history, you know, like, um, that's how we found out there was some issue with alcohol, you know, drug abuse on the dad side, all that type of stuff. Uh, so they were very, very helpful. They helped me fill out my request for, um, an increase in her subsidy to get all that paperwork together. Um, so they were very helpful. They had, um, support group meetings that I would go to monthly, um, just where you could talk with other adoptive parents about what you were experiencing, what you were going through. Um, they, um, Actually, I was able to go with them. One of the things that I had to do uh, when I couldn't get the um, assistance that I needed from the state uh, level here, I in my local area, I wrote to our then governor's name was Charlie Crist. And I wrote all the way to the governor's office because I couldn't get the Medicaid to work and nobody could explain why. Like it was all this stuff going on that I knew I should be able to get help with. And they had a child advocacy office at the time. And he put me in charge in, in, um, touch with someone from that office. And then later on, that child advocacy group wanted to bring parents and community people together to talk about some of the issues we were having in foster care and adoption. And our, the post adoption agency paid for me to go, um, so that I would be able to participate. I actually had gotten an invite. Um, and then when they realized that I had also been invited to go, they said, Hey, we'll pay for your room to be up there. And you can sit with us. Uh, so they were very, very supportive and very helpful. Um, I don't interact with them as much now that she's a little older, but, uh, as she was growing up, they were a serious lifeline in helping me to get to see into the face of the right people. You know, we had post-adoptive, uh, conferences that I would go to so that people in the state, hey, remember me? I'm the girl. Oh, yeah. So that if I really had a problem and the private agency was really giving me a hassle, I could go to somebody at the state level that I had a relationship with to get
2: help. Well, it's really awesome that you're able to find these avenues to be able to get the help that you need because so often people just kind of sit in silence Mm -hmm. and they just accept that, you know, this is the way it's going to be and I can't do anything about it, but it, you know, it sounds like you're also going out and trying to make changes for people too, which is great. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I I try as much as I can, or if not make changes, at least help them to navigate this thing, you know, from, you know, the school district. I mean, that's a whole bear with the IEP and the 504 if you don't understand the difference between those from that to therapy and all of that. And then when, you know, like I said, now the season of life, I'm in with her, what do you do? Is there an adult? I obviously can't leave anything in her name. So getting like a special needs trust and going through that. Um, Just all of those different things that people are going to have to deal with. Um, You know, whatever information I can share, I'm always happy to do. Um, Just because I know how hard it was for me.
2: Now, do you think, will your daughter always need some sort of of care? Or do you think she'll ever be able to be out there on her own?
1: I don't think she'll ever be able to live 100% independently. I think she'll always need somebody to, the gentle reminder, did you take your medicine today? do you have you had a bath today? Or um, it would have to really be a monumental shift for her to be able to live 100% independently. I think she'll always need somebody who will at least check on her. And so I have an, a niece, an older niece who's in her early 20s, who um, has graciously agreed to kind of be that person if something happens to my husband or I, who just will look out for making sure bills get paid. I mean, she's the type of person that If she has $50, it's going to be gone in five minutes. If she has $500, it's going to be gone in five minutes. I mean, there's no, you know, she's not responsible with money, making sure bills get paid, understanding all of that. Um, And so we're already putting those things in place because we know that that will always be a need that she will have most likely.
0: It sounds like you guys have been really kind of wrestling an alligator for a lot of years do you have any, uh, any advice you would give to other parents who maybe have a similar struggle on their own horizon, you know, uh, advice to how they should approach that?
1: Um, I think you have to, uh, really, this is going to sound so cliche, but you have to take it a day at a time. And I think you have to tackle it, um, in the way that works best for you. So, you know, there were days when I was like, I just can't today. And I, I'd have to let it go for a day or two a week until I felt strong enough mentally to kind of dive back in, Um, I think that you, I I think research is going to be key. Um, For me, I always felt more comfortable if I was armed with as much information as possible. Um, Even if it was a worst case scenario, um, you know, I've been preparing for even this whole, you know, her leaving home and not wanting to listen. I've been preparing for that mentally since she was about thirteen. Um, because I knew that that was a possibility. Maybe it wasn't going to happen, but for me, it was better to look at all of the different scenarios and how it's going to play out, what my reaction would be, how would I handle it, what information would I need to be armed with. Um, Knowledge is power, and that is so true even in this space. And so I would really recommend that they do as much research as possible, find a really awesome support group, one of the things that I wrestled with early on, and I still do to some degree is never be afraid to say, "I need help with this. I need somebody to i I can't today. can somebody please call or pick her up?" My parents were always willing my sisters um I had good close girlfriends who were willing to say, "Hey, well, she can stay with us for the day um so that I had an opportunity to get just my own to, you know take care of my own mental health because dealing with that twenty four seven as I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir, is not an easy task. Um and so just surrounding yourself with people who are willing to support you in that is also very important. Um and just recognizing that this is a long term, this is this is not a sprint.
0: <laughs> oh, <yeah>. So
1: <laughs> you you know, you're gonna have to know you're in it for the long haul. And just take it day by day, do what you can and and know it's not gonna be perfect, but I can't stress it enough the more information you can arm yourself with, the better
0: it sounds like a big piece of that is is taking care of some of your own self care so that you're you're ready to to reach in and and do battle for for her uh, mm-hmm. how do you how do you really work on your own self care so that you don't get burnt out because we all have had that burnout moment where the cutest kid in the world makes you want to strangle him
1: so um I wasn't as good at it when she was younger because I felt like I didn't want You know, I never knew when an outburst would come and I didn't know if I wanted to have my, she was never violent towards people, but she could mess up your, she could tear up your property. (laughs) So, you know, I've always felt guilty asking somebody else to deal with that. And I had to learn to let that go. Um, I tried to make sure that even if it was just going to have a manicure, just an hour or two to myself, um, as she got older and could call me, uh, you know, this is my hour and I'm not answering this phone because she has her dad's number. She has my parents' number. She has my sister's numbers. If she really is in an emergency situation, she can call one of them. Most of the time, I would say 98% of the time, it was not an emergency. She just wanted what she wanted when she wanted it. And that was, you know, I want to talk to my mommy and I want to talk to her right now. It doesn't matter what else is going on. So learning how to not get sucked into that and to take my hour, my weekend, whatever. Um I was allotting myself. Um, I ended up doing a lot of the heavy lifting as she got older because a lot of her issues were hygiene, really. And so I took one week a, a year in May. It was normally the end of May that I would go with my mom and my sisters and I would set up everything for her. I had an older sister who um usually didn't go. So she would help my husband with her. But that was my week away um, at least once a year. And then my husband and I would try to take a few times a year where we would go, especially when they were smaller. Um, and so, uh, just really doing that, I started, um, Zumba several years ago and my community of what I call sisters. They are amazing women. And so hanging out with them, having that hour for Zumba every week that we would do. And then we would go on, you know, Hey, let's try this new restaurant. Let's go to this new place and just taking those couple of hours. Um, were some of the things that I tried to incorporate. And I tried to be more intentional about it as time went on. As I said, I wasn't as good as I needed to be when she was younger, uh, but I recognized as she got older that if I was going to be able to be there for her, I had to make sure that I was okay. Um, and so I started making that more of um, an intentional thing that I would do. Um, and it doesn't always have to be big. Like I said, a manicure and a pedicure and I just sit here for an hour and a half and I'm not answering this phone. And I will deal with whatever when I'm done here. <laughs> um,
0: so what you're telling me is I need to go get a mani-pedi done.
1: <laughs> hey, now. Hey. I got nails, too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: doing Whatever works for you. If it's a long walk, whatever I need to do. But it was like, you know, especially, like I said, as she got older because she can be very um, dependent on uh, mommy, mommy, mommy. And so learning not to get sucked into whatever fire drill and it was typically nothing (laughs) but in her mind it was everything but it was like this could have waited until an hour from now i didn't need to deal with this right now so just (laughs) really understanding that and taking that time that i needed to take for myself
0: that is some real sage advice right there from somebody who's (laughs) been through it Well, it's great that you had the time to come in here and talk about this tonight. I know we had this scheduled for yesterday, and you had some stuff going on with your daughter yesterday, and and we had to reschedule because, yes. like, that's just Why how I life happens, know. right?
1: Yes, it does. Yes, and, I, was, I was worried about today. I've had a couple of five with her today. I thought, oh god, but you know, <laughs> we were able to kind of work through it for me to be able to do this interview. But uh, I have, I have, a, I have a feeling I'm going to be getting a few text messages later on this evening. <laughs> so, <hey. laughs>
2: I'll be ready, <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on here and all your time and advice and to wit and your wisdom because I know that for me myself as a parent, you know I think I judge myself harder than anybody else can judge me mm-hmm. and when our children are not being as gracious or as cute as they can be, it's really easy to get down on yourself. So I just, I love the perspective that you bring, you know, take care of yourself and fighting for your child, even when it's hard.
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Take that time. You deserve it. And if you don't, you you know, you won't be as effective as you want to be. I I learned that very quickly. It's like, I can't not do what I need to do for me or I I won't be thinking as clearly to be able to figure out what I need to do for her. Um, so I, I, you know, it was, it was as much for her as it was for me to take that time.
0: That's, that's the key right there. <laughs> well, yeah, we appreciate you coming on and giving us your perspective and in your experience, because I promise you, there's another mom out there who's at that three-year-old level with a kid who's, who's got them struggling and to have your wisdom now and put them, that just puts them, that much i get it out right (laughs) that just puts them that much further ahead down this process for them so that they can learn those lessons and by the time they get to the place you're at they'll be like experts right
1: absolutely
2: (laughs) we all want to be experts someday
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right well well thank you so much for your time tonight
1: thank you for having me i really appreciated it